Dr. Diana Wiley, and I am your host of Love, Lust, and Laughter. Valentine's Day is next week, so let's talk romance. Dr. Ashley Mater is my guest again. We had her part one last month. Now it's part two, and Ashley is a very favorite guest of mine. She's so well-informed. She's a sex therapist, an educator, a consultant. She's the founder of OurShine.org. And so she's well-informed and I just love having conversations with you, Ashley. Welcome back to the program. Thank you. I love having conversations with you as well. This is always a really fun time. Yeah, it's good to share information that we we uh, live and know and experience with others, but it's also really nice to talk to a colleague, and then we also learn from each other. Isn't Absolutely. That yeah. So we, it, we had a brief, Ashley and I had a brief pre-interview, as, as we always do, and um, she she talked about how when she was single and in college, um, you called it Valen, Valendoomsday. I did. I called it, my friends and I called it Valendoomsday. We hated Valentine's Day. I'm not going to lie. We thought it was cheesy. Um, we'd always have a big like breakfast or like a dinner with all of us girls, um, when, um, all of us single girls, um, I will also admit when I was younger, I had a lot of bad Valentine's days. Like I got the stomach flu on the Valentine's day one time, um, all sorts of different things happened to me on Valentine's day, like as a teenager. And of course, all those emotions are a lot different and you can look back and laugh as an adult, but, um, yeah, Valentine's day was one of those holidays that I never as a young, like a younger person never really enjoyed and we kind of made fun of. Yes. And, and that's understandable. And we don't want to leave single people out. I've got, we came across some really interesting, uh, data, uh, uh, when you're considering as a single person, your most perfect romantic partner. And this, uh, Ashley was saying earlier that single people really need to have a lot of self-love and, of course, masturbation. But but first, I want to share this data because I think it's pretty fascinating. Uh, and, um, and, it, and it could be helpful um, because most adults believe that they will recognize Mr. and Mrs. Wright, Mr. and Ms. Wright, when he or she appears. But it might not be so. And so there was a study published in 2020, and it was uh, from the National Academy of Science. And they they had 86 academics, machine learning, massive data set, 11, 000, almost 12,000 couples and hundreds of variables to figure out what makes some romantic relationships happier than others. Um, I won't take the time to go into all of the data that came out, but uh, just the highlights. Um, when people choose partners, they tend to strongly favor those who are physically attractive, according to, um, of course, conventional beauty standards, as well as people in certain height ranges. So women typically look for men who are tall, and um, and men may look for women who are more conventionally attractive. And um, 
So I so for daters, this points out something that might be a potential strategy. Seek out people that other daters tend to overlook. So um, that might be uh, 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 maybe um, a less, as I said, less conventional, pretty conventionally pretty woman, or maybe a tall woman for for a man. Uh, for and for a woman, it might be um, men who are shorter, not as conventionally attractive. But the thing is, you this is what you really want to do: find a partner who's already happy, someone who's already is satisfied with his or her life, and free or relatively free from depression. <laughs> you know, happy in their state as a single, but looking, right? And I think that really makes a lot of sense to look for somebody who's already happy and maybe let go of some of the other uh, I, I, items in your list that, you know, you needed to check off. Let them see and explore. I love that. I, you know, it's interesting. I, I remember when I was in graduate school, I was... I was living in Philadelphia and I went to a comedy show mm -hmm. and I met a comedian afterwards and he was not my type. He was, he was shorter than I was. <laughs> he was not so what I would have normally gone with, but he asked me out and I'm just like, huh? So I was like, sure. You know, like it was totally someone I wouldn't have ever thought about dating. Right. Um, and it, I'm, I'm not saying that it was, it was a very short lived romance, but I don't regret it. It was fun. I got to meet someone new. I, I mean, I will say like, I'm in a very committed relationship, but I love dating. I love meeting new people. I think it's great. I love like when I'm traveling, if I'm sitting at a bar, I love chatting to new people. I, I promise I'm not the traveler who will chat with anyone on the plane, but when I'm at a hotel bar or whatever, I, I love it. And I do think is something that is great about dating someone, even if it's briefly, that's not your type. Um, you yeah. learn something about yourself, you meet a new person and it's, it's fun. It is. And it, and it can expand your, your, uh, area of, of potential dates. If you make these allowances and give somebody a chance. I think it's really great to give somebody a chance. And I did yeah. that in my dating life at, at after all through my 20s. Then I got married. Then many years later, I got divorced. Then I was single for a while. And then I got married and, and my husband died and I was single for a while. So I was dating at various times. Like you, I, I tended to enjoy the dating process and meeting different kinds of people. And, and I could, and if, boy, you dating... Um, a comedian, well, you know, they always say people who laugh together last together. Yeah. But it was probably a lot of fun to 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 date a comedian who maybe had a, a a vision of the world that was a little bit sarcastic or a little different, but but didn't you enjoy that? See, getting new perspectives. I did, and I was able to um it was like a different social circle that I had never I was at that point in my life, I call it my my, com my comedy part of my life. I was with comedians all the time. Um, and it was it was fun. It just yeah, it was just a different and it was 
you know, in graduate school, I was around a lot of people who were, you know, wanting to be therapists or sex therapists, or so as either with social workers or sex therapists. And so this was completely out of what my normal circle was at the time. And it was refreshing. Yes. And you did get some new perspectives. I so, did. So we and we you and I have had a whole shows devoted to dating, but I thought when we're talking about romance, uh, we should talk about the single people. And many I know many single girls who don't have a partner will get together with other girls yeah. and, and celebrate Valentine's Day and self-love and and taking care of yourself and being optimistic about finding a partner if that's what you want to do. But I think we we should go into something that lots of people want to know about any time of the year, but especially at Valentine's Day, how to reignite passion yes. in a long-time relationship. Lots of couples have this question. So yeah. um, let's talk about it. Yeah. No, I think it's interesting because I think a lot of couples when they want to reignite that passion, they think about what was going on when they met, what was passionate when they first met. And and honestly, like anytime you're in that, you know, new relationship energy, or I like to call limerence, there is going to be a lot of passion. I really wish we could just bottle up that and just like take it anytime because it's like the best feeling ever. I love that feeling. But we might not be able to go back to that newness, but it's not to say that we can't get to know our partners again, because just because you've been together for, you know, 20 years, there's aspects of everyone that's changed in those 20 years. Absolutely. And and how to re-engage with that and get to know that person it might be a whole new person in some ways. So you talk about how how can you re-meet your partner? Yes. So going on, like, you know, what would it be like to try to recreate that first date a little bit? Like do a little role play, kind of get a little kinky with it maybe. Um, but okay. go go on that first date again and ask those like, you know, kind of, first date questions Mm -hmm. and act like, you know, whether it's just, even if it's something silly about, you know, what kind of work do you do? Like, obviously, you know, your partners, what kind of work they do. Like, I know that, but like, but even asking like, what do you like about it? Like what, what, I mean, people don't even ask those questions. I mean, when you've been together with someone 20 years, you might not even be like, do you even like, you might talk about work, but like, do you talk about life's passions and goals and things like that all the time and how those have maybe shifted? Absolutely. And uh, habituate, you know, sometimes we get, we assume things instead of, assumed instead of actionized. And if those feelings from the first date haven't gone away, they're just not prioritized. And then oftentimes life takes over. So when you first started dating, everything was about being together and there were no bills or homework or, or worries about uh, strep throat. Or, <laughs> um, and so it's, it may have felt like you could 
seemingly and had an endless amount of time for each other. Uh, it was almost like a container for the relationship. So to go back to some of those first feelings, recreate a, a first date. I really like that idea, Dr. Ashley. That's uh, such a such a good idea. And role playing can be fun. Uh, an an another one that's kind of a classic is that the couple goes into a, a bar and they pretend they're different persons altogether. Yeah. They uh, meet and then they get to decide if they're going to go to bed together or not later. <laughs> but it can be fun because you're in a you you you're in a new role and say new things and that creates dopamine because it's novelty and yeah. that trying to keep dopamine going. The hormone of arousal. Um, I am proud to say my husband and I have done that, and we're 12 years plus into our relationship, um, almost five years married now. But you you got to be real conscious about it and yeah. uh, look, for, look for novelty and uh, look for things that'll be uh, that'll make you get get the dopamine to fly, and. Um, yeah, I also kind of in this regard, I I like I like for partners if they're going to go out on a pretend date or or not even a pretend I mean a pretend first date or any kind of date. Um, I like to remind my couples in couples therapy that partners who learn to say yes more often uh, and see things from their partner's point of view are happier. They, you know, they've learned to compromise, but to say yes more often to stuff. Yeah. Yes. Last last night, uh, I was talking to my husband and he said, he remembered that I had said that and he had a difficult client. I mean, this can apply in lots of areas. We'll just digress for a minute. Lots of areas of your life. And he had a difficult client and he kind of stayed with it. And then he remembered what I, he said. He remembered what I said. Say yes more often. So he said yes to himself. He hung in there with it. And it turned out better because he stayed with it by saying yes. And that can apply also, by the way, as you explore different sex. I'm really digressing here from our topic, but it's not so much of a digression. If, if you want to try new things, which keeps the dopamine going, stay with it. You know, if it's maybe a little uncomfortable in the beginning, say, yes, I'm going to stay with this and see what we'll explore, we'll discover, we'll discover together, but don't just immediately discard it. Doesn't that make sense? I think it makes complete sense. And I think it's, it's also about, you kind of like saying yes to yourself and yes to your own pleasure and let yes to your own happiness. Cause I think sometimes people have a hard time doing that. Yeah. And so I think, and also, I mean, this is going to sound so cliche, I find it, but I'm just going to say, it, it's like, you know, growth doesn't happen in the comfort zone. <laughs> So you might have to get a little uncomfortable and feel awkward if you're doing something new, whether it's like role playing or whatever it is, whatever you're trying before, like to kind of move past it, it's kind of moving through that anxiety. And then it, it then that's where the juiciness can happen. Absolutely. And that's so true. I mean, yeah, a lot of things are, little cliche because they're so true and people use them use the expressions but it's absolutely true that growth doesn't happen in your comfort zone you've got to stretch a little bit and try on new new ways of being or uh 
and 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 being more in the moment takes a lot of mindfulness be more in the moment and that can really help because you're giving your partner full attention and that is romantic that's to give your partner full undivided attention something i think too and we 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 mentioned we we kind of talked about this earlier is um in our our pre-show interview was how if you've been together with someone a long time, it's easy to take them for granted. Yes. And, and, you know, not fully listen or not fully be present. And I think that's the other thing, because we have all the, we have these devices in our hands all the time. We have these cell phones or tablets or whatever. And it's easy like to just, you know, you're looking at your phone or you're looking, you're watching TV. I I mean, every couple does this at, at times. And mm-hmm. your partner comes in and they start talking to you about something. And I make it, this is what I do. I make it an effort to whatever I'm focusing on, like whether I'm on my phone or whether I'm watching a TV, I put it on pause so I can be completely present with what my partner is saying. And it could be something really ridiculous, like, um, what should I preheat the oven to or whatever it is? It might not be the most profound conversation, but I think it's about staying present and being like, I care about what you're saying right now. And oh boy, does that help your partner uh, feel more um, confident and more loved uh, that you're giving you, that you are not going to allow yourself to be distracted and multitask. And I think multitasking is a so-called passion assassin. (laughs) Yeah. Because it causes the brain to be overloaded. Uh, And you know, when people sort of, a lot of people, uh, including somebody very close to me and my daughter, of course she has two children who are 10 and 12 and a husband and a job and, but, she kind of prides herself in multitasking, but studies studies show that chronic multitasking uh, it it shows that it could have some long term harmful effects on brain function, um, ranging. I mean, if they do this chronically, ranging from oh the inability to focus on any one activity to feeling rushed all the time, and when you're feeling rushed all the time. You're stressed and you have way too much cortisol and not enough of the endorphins or the serotonin or the oxytocin. So that's not a good thing. No, absolutely not. And I've read um, articles about how we think that by multitasking, we're being more efficient, but we actually are not. We, we are not being a fit. Like if it's really better to focus on one task at a time. Yes. And, and to be present for that. You you alluded to the um, external distractions, and the cell phone is, of course, a big one, huge. External distractions can also, of course, include your computer, your TV, your your kids, clutter in the house, noise, temperature in the room, right? Yep. Even your watch. Some people have really fancy watches. Yep. And um, so... I think I want to talk about internal distractions, but with the external distractions, I think couples need to make rules. Um, When Brian and I are together, 
we, our phones are totally put away. Yeah. We, um, and we talk and we make love and we have, but we don't look at our phones till hours for hours. And unless we get a call and we make sure that it's not family or some emergency, but put away the phones. That is the presence of a cell phone can, can inhibit conversation just by the presence of it, just a few inches away from you. It, it can inhibit uh, full, full valued conversations, full, fully spirited conversations because it's there. It's a distractor. Yeah. And maybe to look at it. I think it's a good challenge. And I, um, my partner and I did this. Uh, we do this a couple every now and then is that when we, because we are so glued to our cell phones, which is so funny because like, you know, you know, years ago, there was no cell phones. So I, we have gone on dates where we just leave our cell phones at home. Oh, that's such a good idea. Yes. And I know most people might be like, well, I can't do that because of the babysitter this. Okay. So like maybe leave it in the car in the glove box or whatever it is. Um, but just a little bit of being able to be a hundred percent present, I think is so important. It is. And then let's talk for a minute about internal distractions, internal distractions. They can include things like negative self-talk, excessive worry. You know, people are chronic worriers, uh, judging, stressing, fatigue, inhibitions. I'm just listing off a list that unrealistic expectations and lack of time. And really and truly the most precious gift you can give someone is your time without distractions because time is one part of your life that you can never get back. And I'm certainly as, as an older person, uh, I'm way more aware of that (laughs) as I have way less time in front of me than I have behind me. And so, ah, just every moment somehow becomes even more precious to me and I make the most of it. Yeah. You don't have to wait till you're in your seventies to have those kinds of ahas. (laughs) You can do it it now. Yeah. Be present, breathe, do the eye contact. Oh, I want to talk a little bit about um, eye gazing because um, uh, it's such a, a visual passion. You know, if you, uh, if you give mindful attention to your partner's facial expressions, uh, that can trigger uh, the mirror neurons and, and in our brains. It's, this is a powerful form of simulation when you both perform the same action at the same time, such as smiling. So when your partner smiles at you, your mirror neurons for smiling fire up too. Yeah. So it creates a sensation in your own mind of the loving feeling emotions associated with smiling. And uh, just one more thing on this topic, a brain scan study conducted at Yale found that when couples held eye contact, their brain activity also synced up. So it can be a, a really a wonderful part of foreplay or just it being intimate together really you know the eyes are the windows into the soul so gaze into your partner's soul by looking into his or her eyes and tell them 
what makes them so lovable to you? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think like all these things are also kind of part of, I'm going to call it like long game foreplay because it's just being able to like make, make icon, having those moments, um, I think are so important because I, I, especially if there's the, the internal, um, distractions or what's going on. Is it like, you know, stress here, stress here. And cause I, I, I work with couples who are like, well, you know, I, I, I'm so stressed. Like I can't think about sex and that's real. Like that for some people, stress is a big old break. And usually most couples know, um, a partner might know if that's, th that is their, um, partner's break is like stress. It's like, so how can you change up that context and make it less stressful and like really nurture, like, so you can have a connection. It's, it's what, when a person has an internal distractions going on it's really hard to just be like just don't feel that way no you it's hard it's hard to do that so yeah. if if a partner is really wanting to connect in a romantic way sexual way how can the context change how can you can create an environment and kind of do that long foreplay um, because I think a lot of couples and there's, I, I should say this, there's nothing wrong with quickies, nothing wrong with quickies, but there is something I think that can be lost if that's all that's happening. Like, oh, we have to fit in sex right now because of the kid's bedtime or I'm tired. Like I'm like, what? So being able to create a time to make it just so luxurious Mm -hmm. I think is really important. Oh, it, it, it is. And and you're right. You know, I, I sort of equate uh, quickies with fast food. And, you know, if your diet is only fast food, it's not going to be very healthy for you. Yeah. <laughs> or healthy for the relationship. So a quickie is efficient at times, but you want to have gourmet sex. Uh, yes and take an hour or two uh, and just luxuriate. Now, couples with children, that's a little trickier to organize, but it's doable and you, I think it needs to be a high priority if you want to have passion and true love uh, on Valentine's Day or any day really. So um, yeah, uh, we don't wanna just have quickies. I think that, um, we need to remember, though, that um, sex is play. Mm -hmm. fun, having fun and playing together is just, you know, I've always said, because my motto is, if you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. So there, yeah. can, there can be board games that are uh, based on sex and relationships. There are a whole bunch of them. And um, one of my couples bought... I haven't done it yet, but they they they, they have trouble. She, you know, she's a medical doctor. He's an entrepreneur. I mean, they're really busy. They've got a three-year-old, but they bought Esther Perel's new game, and 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 that helps them um, kind of ease in as they warm up to each other, and they have to carve out time together. So I believe in games. The one that I've used and recommended for years. 
uh, is Enchanting Evening, and it's produced by Time for Two. And it the game says, spend the evening together exploring adult fantasies and desires as you roll the dice and make your way around the game board and each other. And um, so I think we also, we like that, and we also like unstructured play. And... And this is where you engage and play just for its own sake, without any goal in mind. I love this. Play, you know, because play releases endorphins, improves memory, and helps us stay energetic and young at heart. I say in my book, Love in the Time of Corona, sex is fun, free, and the fountain of youth. (laughs) Absolutely. Just, I, I love that. And... You know, we need to have more play. I I, I was reading about dolphins um, not so long ago. And so here, the, we're hardwired to play. Here, here are dolphins. They're known for playing, right? And they are in a dangerous ocean with lots of sharks who could eat them up. So what adult do- dolphins often do is they make a big circle around their children, around the baby dolphins. And for at least an hour, they make this big protective circle and the baby dolphins play within the circle because it's very important for their growth and for their brain development, I mean, and everything. So play, play is hardwired. You need play in life. We need it so much more now that we're just all so busy, busy, busy and work-driven, yes? Absolutely. Uh, and, and it's interesting because I think, you know, we think about like humans playing, but you're right. Like uh, other mammals play. I like, yeah. you know, when I, I live in New England and so um, I, there's a lot of trees in my backyard or, and I, I have hiking trails and things like that. And sometimes the, I can see the squirrels playing and chasing each other around. Maybe they're fighting, but they look like they're playing and having fun. Yes. Um, and, you know, obviously dogs and cats play, but like I see, you know, like farm animals play. Um, I saw like somewhere like a crow, like if it was a video, like a crow, like sliding down a slide and then like flying back up and slide, like different things like that, like all so many different mammals. In it. And so play is important. And, and hardwired into us. Yeah. And, um, um, we, we do know that unstructured play does relieve endorphins. It improves memory. It helps us stay energetic and young at heart. I maybe said that already, um, but it's great fun and it can really lead to some playful, um, playful sex. I recommended in my book, um, have a spontaneous pillow fight. Yeah. It can be a safe way to release some aggression and get involved um, in, in physical play with your partner. Just remember, you always have to respect boundaries and don't overdo it. I think singing some silly songs together can be a lot of fun. Um, maybe you recite naughty limericks or write some yourself. Um, maybe you get messy with finger paints and body painting. And I mean, this doesn't really require much in the way of artistic talent. But it does require a a desire to experiment and have fun. And then you can follow that up with a shower or a bath together. Showers and baths are great places for couples to play. You know, soap each other all up and 
and um, and wash each other and and maybe if you're in a bath, feed each other finger foods and uh, maybe have a little bit of champagne, not expensive champagne, because I would like to recommend that you take the champagne and run like the woman's lying on her back and her bare breasts are exposed. So she might he might put a little champagne on her chest and the oh. tink, the champagne, the cold champagne with the warm water. Oh, it's such a sensual feeling. Yeah. And it inspires giggles. We want to giggle and play. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. So I think that's, and I think we do get away from that because we are, I mean, it's, we kind of live in this hustle culture that we have to go, go, go. And so, you know, not taking time, not only, you know, as couples, but even for ourselves, like kind of forgetting who we are for a moment. And I think play, like, you know, incorporating play can kind of help that. It's um, it, it can help it a lot. And um, I, I, I think it's quite fascinating to think about the uh, connection that passionate touching creates for couples because the art of touch involves our entire bodies from head to toe. And there was research done at Johns Hopkins, and it showed that human fingertips have about 3,000 touch receptors each. And the trunks of our bodies also have about the same number of receptors as just one fingertip. So I say, if you want to spend the night with your hands all over each other, I suggest that you play with a massage and play with a, a, a massage game where you take turns touching each other. Uh, two minute massages, longer, I think 30 is even better. Um, but you get to you get to really, well, it's a sensei focus really, the massaging, but touching each other all over can real not only relax you, get you in the mood. Maybe is, would you consider this some of your, um, what you call a uh, long-term, what did you call it? Long-term uh, foreplay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that can be part of it. Like, I think it can, I think it starts, you know, just by setting, you know, whether it's like an, a text message or like, Hey, like I called us the babysitter. Like we have the whole evening to ourselves. I mean that, and then like, and then ease into like the, you know, massage and things like that. I think all of that can be, part of that foreplay process. And it's been documented time and time again that people who massage each other before sex have better sex. Simply yes. relaxed. Well, it's it's interesting. There was some recent research or it was a book. Um, I have to, I, I can't think of the book off the top of my head, but how, you know, I, I mean, we all know that touch is important, like skin hunger, like that we want to be touched. Um, and everyone has varying degrees of skin hunger, yeah. but during the pandemic, I mean, granted, we're still kind of, I mean, well, there's still some COVID numbers, um, but during the height of the pandemic, casual touch, even I'm just talking like hugging and handshaking, it actually, for a lot of people, that's all the touch they're getting. And that like fills that need and that, that can make some depression set in. I mean, the pandemic was depressing enough in so many ways, 
but not having that just interaction casual interaction and handshakes and things like that or like if someone was getting massages all the time and that was their touch not mm -hmm. having that so i think i i don't think we think how how important touch is for an individual well we we know that um without enough touch babies will die it's called a failure to thrive you yeah. know people can live without sex but they really can't live without touch some kind some kind of well i'm exaggerating a little bit to make the point um but touch is so so important i mean just giving your partner a 15 to 20 second hug is such a good thing because by holding each other that long you do make a deeper connection and uh and it helps calm your central nervous system so the stresses fall away, and then you don't have anything to say more than, I love you. <laughs> There's a an exercise that I like to encourage my couples to do, and it's not an exercise that came from me. It came from um, the book Passionate Marriage by David Schnarch. Yes, and it, yeah, and it, I use this and, too. Explain it to the listeners. It's called Hugging. It's a, it's a great book. It's about, it's for couples. Um, but about reigniting that passion. So, I mean, that's what we're talking about. So if you want to read, um, I always forewarn my younger clients about this book because it is extremely heteronormative and I have a lot of um, LGBTQ clients. So I'm like, just so you know, this yeah. was written in like the early nineties. It's very heteronormative. There might be some things that might make you a little twitchy, but like in the end, the book is really, really good. But one of the exercises is um, hugging till relaxed. Right. And basically that is, is um, you and your partner hug, standing up until both of you are relaxed. And I will admit every time that I assign, none of my clients can do this. It's really hard for them. And I think it's so interesting because, at, because you get so sensitized to the little things that your partner does. And I think this is a really good part of differentiation, being able to soothe oneself in that and right. not try to relax your partner, but like that's their responsibility. It's so interesting. Um, but just, you know, I think it's just one of those things, like I'll give the homework to the listeners, hug your partner and hug until you're fully relaxed. Cause I'm really curious, like, like I, I think it can be really difficult for some people. Yeah, and people that are <laughs> a lot of a lot of women in particular are uh, people pleasers, and they they want to take care of their partner, and they don't take care of themselves. Uh, in so that's it. It is it can that hugging to relaxed exercise can reveal quite a lot. Yes, and I have used it with couples too. Um, and what kinds of things results from this? exercise what have you heard from some of what feedback do you get from your couples when they've tried other than it's really hard yeah it's it's just it's honestly they most of them try to avoid doing it it's so interesting it's almost like that is harder for them than sex yeah oh um, so I think that's the interesting part. Most of them just say like it's very anxious and and most of them said like well, we ended up just setting a timer um, and I'm like, well, that's not the 
point. Um, but it's just, it's interesting because I think that they, the anxiety they get from that exercise is telling about how much anxiety is in the relationship. It, it, it does. It reveals that. Um, I, I do uh, a kind of a related exercise um, where I, I have the couple face each other, uh, hold hands, make eye contact, and they alternate saying sweet things to each other. Yeah. This is what I like and appreciate about you. Um, it's the sweet nothings exercise. And um, I've, I've had couples do this where this is what I love and appreciate that you listen to my old stories like they're new. I love and appreciate that when you smile, you really truly smile. It's a whole face thing. Yeah. Uh, all positive things taking a minute or two several times over the years that I've done this exercise and I used to have in-person uh, sessions before the pandemic, uh, I've, I've had men cry. They have not heard anything sweet like this, sweetly appreciative and appreciative, like ever like this. And they cry because they're so overwhelmed to hear something so positive. And what I, what I say to them is appreciation begets appreciation. It builds a reservoir of goodwill. It's really true. I mean, my husband, Brian, one of the things he said to me is we have so much goodwill for each other, to each other. We really have each other's best interests at heart. And we do. And that's because we appreciate each other all the time. We say the words. A lot of people have trouble saying the words. I might talk a little bit about how you can start that process. But but Ashley, talk. you come in here with it, with what you'd like to say about about um, what I just talked about with. Yeah, I think I, I just I think that I mean, that's the other thing, too, is that we get away from if we've been in a relationship for a long time in a long for a long time is that we don't talk about what um, we appreciate or what we like about someone. It's interesting. I mean, this is not directly related to sexuality or romance, but on my birthday, one of my friends said, okay, I want everyone to go around. I didn't come up with this. She goes and say one thing that you really appreciate about Ashley. Oh, how and, what great, that's a great thing to do on your birthday, especially your significant birthday that you just had. Yeah, and it was, it, it really meant so much. Yeah. Um, and obviously like it ended with my partner saying something that was just like, so I, I cried. Um, and it was, it was beautiful. And I think I, I, you know, just that, and I mean, that was just friends, friends, close friends and my partner. But I think what I learned is that we don't do that enough with our significant others. And I think that's extremely important just to say, well, even, even just like mild things, like saying, thank you when your partner brings you coffee. Like, I know that sounds so minor, but some people forget about doing that. 
They do. It's absolutely true. Um, and you know, it for some people, and I, I think this is especially true of introverted software engineers, just to give an example, who are not very accustomed typically to expressing their love in words. And so they feel uncomfortable. Uh, when I first started this practice about 40 years ago, um, we didn't have um, any of the uh, dating apps or anything back then. But I would get, and I practiced in Palo Alto, and so we were close to Silicon Valley, and we had a lot of the engineers married to expressive women, extroverted, expressive women. So I'd get the, I'd get the guy to practice with, sounds kind of strange, but it actually worked. He would just say, I love you, baby. I mean, I told him what to do. Yeah. <laughs> but facing each other, holding it. I love you, baby. Putting some feeling into it. And it can feel uncomfortable at first. Yep. The truth is you're saying good things and people always respond to that. And your partner is... He's, he's, he's saying, it's kind of like an emotional warm up. Um, and then you can also say what you find attractive about the other person. And of course, you're moving towards what's good instead of what's bad. And that's so important in relationships. That's why I've had some men cry when they do this exercise. Yeah. You know, it's familiar to them, but we need more of it. <laughs> We definitely need more of it. And I think, well, I think men are socialized not to have those types of emotions or share or like they don't really, it's hard for them to even hear that. They might have not have heard something like that sweet since they were a child. That's right. That's exactly right. And um, uh, I also um, have something <laughs> that I use, some another exercise that's called your adoration list and the adoration list is five seven or maybe ten non-material things that make you feel loved and special and so you you uh you make your list and then you share share this with the other and uh and then maybe i've had some couples say yeah i want to hear yours your list because i want to do more of them yeah so then you can set a specific date sooner the better like the following night to to share these things with each other and valentine's day doesn't have to be the day no <laughs> a lot of pressure on valentine's day to and prices go up in restaurants and yes <laughs> it can be any day but i do i i i think you know we we should express ourselves more and, and find the words. And, you know, even even for the shyer, introverted engineer, whatever, uh, who has trouble finding the words, even if that person fumbles, I know that the effort is recognized by the other because it's an effort. It's a process, isn't it? It is. And I think that effort is. And I think it's really hard for, you know, I, things change like that doesn't happen overnight 
So being appreciative of the effort someone is trying to make. Uh-huh. Yeah. Somebody's trying to make. Uh, so we've talked about a lot of things about Valentine's Day. And um, can you think of can you think of something else you want to get in in the last 10 minutes of our podcast? I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, I think, you know, the one thing I was thinking about is um, and because we've we've talked about kind of, you know, if you're single on Valentine's Day. But I think the other thing, too, whether you're coupled or single, but I think a lot of times couples, especially couples with kids, but I don't think this matters whether you have children or not lose themselves a little bit there's so much focus on the kids um and i'm not even talking about just like a loss of connection with each other it's a loss of connection with oneself and like being able to be like oh i'm more than a mother i'm more than a father um who am i and i think this is another good way of like whether it's valentine's day or any day honestly is Mm -hmm. what individual goals can you set for yourself how can you show yourself some self-love like whatever that is whether it is to go get a massage whether it's to get a new perfume the one thing i treated myself to this weekend is i went and got fitted for bras and went to this nice lingerie store to get new bras and i felt i i'm wearing one now and i feel like a million bucks um it's those things are important I bet I bet you can model them for your partner and he likes that. He definitely likes that. Like he was just like, wow, like, yeah. So it's it's nice to be able to do something like that for yourself. And I'm not even talking about just like, yeah, like that's, you know, spending money, but it can be other things like what goals do you want to set for yourself? Is there any hobby that you have been avoiding doing because like you don't feel like you have time? And so trying to just find yourself again. Mm, mm. I think can also, if both partners are working on that or like differentiation, it can kind of reignite that passion. It gives something new to talk about. And I think it's so important. Uh, it's it's so important. And, and, you know, I think and now I'm putting on my gerontologist hat. You've got one of those, too, where you study aging and sexuality as I as I do or have, the research studies are in the past now, but integrate it. Um, You know, one sign of successful aging is to remain curious. I think we've got to stay curious in our relationships to our most important intimate relationships, to stay curious, continue to learn about each other and, um, and, and maybe try some new hobbies you can do together and apart, together and apart. Yes, I think it's important to have a hobby that that you can do together. One of the hobbies that my partner and I have, and I know this sounds so silly, but we play disc golf together. Um, we go out, and, we go out in the woods. Yeah, it's exercise. Um, and we, and during the pandemic, we also picked up tennis together because um, he used to play tennis. I liked tennis and I wanted to learn. So it was a kind of a cute thing that he could kind of teach me. And we can also laugh together and play because like I was not catching on all the time and it was funny. Um, So those things can be fun to do together 
or learn something new together and still have your own hobbies. I think that's important. There's things that he does that I have no interest in and vice versa. He does not want to crochet with me and I don't want to play chess with him. And that is also okay. It absolutely is. You know, uh, I remember one, this was years ago. Uh, she was a 40 year old woman about to remarry and she was a long way from being differentiated he said i'm so happy because i'm gonna marry my man and it'll be like two hearts beating as one oh that is not a differentiated woman no the thing about being differentiated uh is that there are many beautiful things about it but you can have really hotter sex because you can merge which amazing sex and intercourse it's the closest you a man and a woman can be uh with a penis inside a vagina you can merge have all this hot sex and not not fears don't come up if you're truly differentiated fears yeah so can you because you're you're you know a lot about differentiation and can you speak about differentiation in terms of a couple and their sex life and how it might be hotter when they're better differentiated? Yes. Um, oh, I could go on. This could be a whole new show is just differentiation. Um, but yeah. I, I think the one thing is to think about is it, it starts outside of the bedroom. So them uh, a part partners being able to show up for self and not be afraid of conflict or what the other person like not always accommodating so being able to show up for self so when you keep accommodating for your partner there's a difference between like you know everyone has to accommodate every now and then to have flexibility but accommodating all the time if one because one partner usually over accommodates can build resentment so if both both partners can show up for self and differentiate and say like no this is and and sometimes agree to disagree and 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 know like i'm giving the very cliff notes but yeah. also taking responsibility for self and i think with that also goes about with taking responsibility for one's own pleasure and communicating about sex of like this is what i like oh this is what i don't like yes that being curious about what the other person likes and so yeah. when you can hold on to yourself and then join in like that pretty awesome it, it really is because fears you know at the beginning of the show i talked about people dating and how it could really be helpful if you if you date somebody who's a happy person <laughs> yeah and by the way of course the corollary to that is when you're on a date be happy and some actually sometimes faking it till you make it can work sometimes <laughs> uh, but i really like that you take responsibility for yourself and 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 you say what you need and you want and you're not going to be burdened by fears that well if i say this what will he think about me yeah. it just requires a fair amount of self-confidence and sexual confidence and sometimes people need to do the work to get there and finding the right therapist that's a good fit doing your research maybe having a session with the therapist to see if it is a good fit because that will make a huge difference for you yeah uh, in terms of progress you can make 
what what else would you say, Ashley, about um, finding the right therapist to, to work? Oh, I think I think you have to kind of find the therapist. I think you have to date to find it. Date the, not not date the therapist. Don't do that. But like you have to kind of shop around. That would be the best because not everyone vibes well with each other. And I think that's really important. If you are looking for a therapist, if you have the ability to be able to meet with a couple of different people to see who you feel more relaxed with, who can challenge you, like it's hard to, but you could might be able to see that with a first session um, or consultation, but you can kind of feel that energy back and forth. And uh -huh. so I think that makes a big difference. Um, also, if you know what you want to work on, see if that person specializes in it. Um, so I think that's really important. So whatever you want to work on, say like, okay, you know, I'm really wanting to work on, you know, relationships and, you know, um, differentiation of self will find someone who that is their specialty. So, I, so I think that's also very important, just shopping around and yeah. finding someone you're comfortable with. Exactly. Because you have to realize you are a consumer here as the yep. client. And uh, it may take it may take um, maybe a couple of short sessions if you find out if the therapist offers a no charge brief brief yep. consultation. I, I since I do all my sessions on Zoom now, but I still still require a 15 minute phone conversation with the person before we before we make an appointment yeah same. So it gives a little sense of me how i work and it gives me a sense of them and their concerns and if i can if i feel i can be effective uh, and a good therapist for them so that initial consultation is usually offered by the therapist isn't it uh, no yes. charge and i think that's extremely important like find a therapist or if you're shopping around on psychology today or whatever you're using is that if they offer like a 15 to 20 minute free consultation that's extremely important it sure is well we've come to the end of the hour just about and um you know i i really wish for our listeners a good valentine's day however that presents itself and a good Valentine's Day is where you show up and you express love and maybe you do some of the things that Dr. Ashley and I have been talking about to make it even a better. Maybe you do. Maybe you're just in the moment and breathing and loving, loving your other, but stay present and express yourself. And sometimes it takes a bit of time to get to start the process. You know, I love you and you make my life better. Uh, that's a wonderful sentiment to start <laughs> to start a, something that's hard for some people to verbalize. So, but start the process and yeah. then you better Valentine's Day. Absolutely. And you don't have to do a fancy dinner if you don't want to, but just, just even, yeah, simply saying something like that, I think is a, is a really good place to start. Yeah, well... You make my show better, Ashley. Well, I always enjoy being on the show. So this was another fun conversation. It was. And of course, I'll have you back again in a few months. Uh, and I look forward to that. And everybody out there, express your love to your partner. If you're lucky enough to have a partner, express your love. 
on Valentine's Day or any day, really. Remember what I said earlier, appreciation begets appreciation, and it will build a reservoir of goodwill, and that's a good thing to have, that reservoir of goodwill. Right, Ashley? Yes, absolutely. I hope you and your partner have a delightful Valentine's Day. You too. Thank you so much. <laughs> and uh, wish, wishing that for you listeners too. So have some fun. Be in love if you can be. <laughs> Work toward it. What else can we say as a sign off, Ashley? I was going to say just like, you know, keep it sexy out there. Oh, that's a good sign off. I might say that. I should say that more often at the end of this show. <laughs> Keep it sexy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Bye, everybody. Keep it sexy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great show.